Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello, good people. Welcome to our show. Bad people, welcome to our show. Medium people, welcome. Anyone who want to learn more about Google Analytics, because we are going to discuss today about GA4, a new version of Universal Analytics, because we have a few days left. Probably when you will listen to this episode, you can use only GA4. And I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Perry Beth. How are you? I'm great. How are you? It's nice to see you again. Yeah, a big pleasure. I want to learn more. I want to get new insights i know you know how to share value you're so kind to share this value before we start just remind our listeners about you about your business and anything that can help to learn more about you yeah absolutely so my name is mary beth mishkovas i own a consulting firm called insight lime analytics and we specialize in driving business impact through digital analytics that can be pretty broad but Obviously, the topic today is Google Analytics, so we help uh, medium to large organizations improve their data maturity, find new ways to use the data they're currently collecting. Um, and the best way to hear more from me is to follow me on LinkedIn. Um, it's Mary Beth Mushkovis uh, on LinkedIn, um, or visit our website at insightlimeanalytics.com. Nice, nice. Love it, love it. Awesome. Okay, guys, you can find the link to... Uh, to the website and LinkedIn account in the description below. And uh, I want to start from uh, the first question, you know, uh, I, you know, I have the feeling about GA4. It's like uh, when I was in university, I usually prepared in the last day <laughs> to any exam. Uh, uh, I mean, like any college gives time, you know, like you have an year, you know, to learn uh, the season but you can uh, do it in the last day uh, like many other students. And it's the same with GA4. Google gave enough time to uh, change uh, analytics. Uh, but uh, can you tell uh, for uh, most listeners like me uh, who have the struggle to, meet, uh, to change analytics because of uh, I spoke with a few clients, they told me, uh, that new version is not user-friendly for them. Uh, but I, I don't have this feeling because, uh, you know, I started to click all features or buttons, you know, to uh, get this experience. So can you tell how to mitigate this pain to learn about new analytics? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously at this point, if you're one of those students that uh, waited to the last minute, it's going to be a little bit more painful. Um, because you're not going to be able to have something to fall back on. And um, really the approach that you took is, is one, of, uh, one of the ways to really just is migrate as fully as you can. Hopefully you have support from a team to do that or you're using resources online. Um, and then start using the platform now. Um, you're going to, if you migrated right now, you're not going to have a lot of data in there. So there might be some kind of transition period that you're going through. Um, I would agree, actually, that when a marketer or a non-analyst or less technical marketer gets into GA4, it's very different from Universal Analytics. Universal Analytics had a lot of out-of-the-box reports. You know, you can debate whether that was somewhat clunky. And sometimes when you wanted to be more specific, it was a little difficult to navigate, um, but you had a lot to work with from the beginning. GA4 isn't like that. They will most likely make some preset reports, but there's not much. So um, so the big difference is really you're 
needing to build what you want to look at from scratch. So if you want to look at source medium or something like that for marketing purposes, you're going to have to build that table from scratch to be able to see the information that you want, add the metrics that you want. But my advice would be um, to, to certainly, if you haven't already migrated to do that, uh, um, because if, well, I mean, right now you're going to be in a place where you're going to be doing it and you're not going to collect data for a few weeks realistically. Um, but get that done as quickly as possible and then get your analysts and your marketers and everyone into the tool as quickly as possible. And I'd recommend looking at some non-Google resources. Re Google has some resources they put out. I think they have updated some of their learning materials, but it's not super extensive. So, um, so companies kind of like mine or, or some others that are really digging into the reports and how to use them on YouTube and things like that is really um, a, a better way to do it, uh, depending on your budget, uh, because, you know, there's just not that many resources that Google themselves has put out yet. Nice, nice. Um, I want to ask you how to learn about uh, GA form. Uh, and, uh, for example, you know, it's interesting that I found a bunch of analogs appealed, you know, because uh, people have this, uh, I don't know, hard learning, uh, uh, tough to understand because uh, interface is different. It looks the same, but uh, most features are different. And um, I think uh, for me, Personally, I think it's better to spend time to learn about GA4 than to pay for analogs, uh, even if you get simple experience, but uh, the time that you will pay money, you know, uh, takes more than uh, learning about this uh, GA4. So any tips how to do it? <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, aside from finding some resources online that you really like, uh, some other tips that I have is to take uh, some, some things from the, the analyst playbook, which is um, something called a data dictionary. So when you're, when you're moving over to G GA4, ideally you were taking a look at what you actually were tracking in universal analytics as well and had a list. So here's all the basic metrics that come with Google Analytics out of the box. And then here's some other things, form submission, pur purchases, et cetera, that you've created. And use that list or dictionary as something as a reference when you're exploring GA4. And they all actually are called explore reports um, because then you actually know what different items you can look for, right? So um, you, you, instead of having that kind of like, you might be like, oh, I can't remember what it's called when I'm looking at marketing source or when I'm looking at users, um, you'll need to have that reference sheet. Uh, and you can't, that Google does also have like their out of the box, like documentation of the reference sheet. So one recommendation is to have that open when you're exploring. So you can remember what metrics you can look at. So that's, that's one tip. I think another one is to take a look at your favorite reports in Universal and try and recreate them in GA4. This is a really good exercise. We've been doing it since the interface was even kind of introduced um, because then you can really understand what you need to put together to make that same dashboard um, and helps you get familiar with all of those metrics. Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, about big difference, uh, but uh, can you tell uh, what kind of difference we have about uh, uh, if we compare uh, Universal Analytics, GA4, and uh, uh, any, I don't know, uh, your feeling about that? I mean, like, uh, new analytics is better or not? <laughs> I, I mean, I think the jury's still out on that one. Um, 
as someone who's worked with a lot of other analytics tools as well, and from the analyst perspective, I can see where Google Analytics is going. And there's a lot of conjecture about why they've made this change. Data privacy is one of the options, but also um, there's some other tools that are more similar to what GA4 is, which is Adobe Analytics is a little bit more similar to this format where um, you kind of have a blank page almost where you're building out the reports and the information that you need from scratch. So the big differences between Universal and GA4 are Universal Analytics had an interface that was very cookie cutter. There was a lot of reports already in there. If you just implemented even the baseline tracking, you would have reports that covered a lot of different areas, including website performance and speed, uh, marketing. And then with a little bit of extra implementation, you would also have like full e-commerce funnels and everything already in reports that you can just click through and explore. GA4 has some reports, but it's nowhere near as extensive. And instead it has this explore reporting where there's a few presets that you can load in, but you're really having to select what you're looking at. So if you wanna look at a funnel, you're really having to select every single event to build out that funnel, for example. So you'll when you open it up, there's not a lot in there. The other big difference is it's transitioning to more of an event style tracking versus session style tracking. And some of the, and that means that also some of the metrics have changed. So some of the things that people are really familiar with, for example, bounce rate, aren't necessarily tracked the same, not necessarily called the same thing. Um, and from an anal also from an analyst perspective, what I see is the pros of this is that it's more flexible for more types of websites. Uh, Universal Analytics was very much for e-commerce websites, even if you were like, for example, your website, right? where you're going to want to focus on things like form submissions. Um, you had to do custom tracking for that. And then it ne never really fit into the or the standard built reports. GA4 could be for a lot more types of, of uh, websites, SaaS websites and things like that, where you can really track more and put in more um, events that fit what you want to do. Not that G in Universal couldn't, but now it's just like, not like you're in this cookie cutter report that doesn't fit that type of website. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you mentioned about bounce rate. Uh, and uh, I remember in the first version of GA4, Google decided to hide this metric, but uh, then after some complaints, <laughs> Google yeah, uh, added this uh, metric one more time. And you mentioned that it's quite different with the previous version. What, what is the difference between uh, the first version and uh, in GA4? Um, between, you mean between Universal Analytics and GA4? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I think some of the other differences are um, that it's more analyst friendly than it is marketer friendly. Uh, mm -hmm. It's, you know, there's a lot of features actually that have been activated, like uh, having being able to connect to BigQuery and things like that that make it something where sometimes actually having once all everything set up, um, you can query that data a little more easily. That wasn't necessarily something that you could do easily um, when you were on the free version of universal analytics. Um, it's a little more privacy centric is what Google will tell you. Um, and that means that there's settings that are different as well. So like you said, they've kind of changed things a lot. And I think that we're nowhere near done with them making tweaks and adjustments to this platform. So as you know, like, as you mentioned, like with bounce rate, 
they've gone back and made adjustments. Um, there's other features that they're adding on, on the daily. Um, you know, I've, I've talked to some representatives from Google where they'll joke like, oh, I opened up the interface. It's different today. Um, and so there's a little bit of that that's still happening. So it's, it's a little hard to comment on how exactly it will be completely different because they're not done creating it, even though we're already into full uh, migration mode now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, got it. And uh, I love this metric engagement, you know, because we got this metric on social media. I check out all the time. And right now we have our, our website because it's important to know how much time people spend on websites. Uh, and yeah, we didn't have this metric. We analyzed by uh, bounce rate, average time on site. But right now we can know. Uh, and it depends on the website, you know, uh, some, some pages need to retain longer, some not. So can you tell how to learn from this metric and how this metric can help uh, us marketers to increase or improve the quality of our content? Yeah, um, I, I think you summarized it pretty well to start with, right? Like before we were combining a few other metrics together to kind of get a feel for what uh, what we were doing on the site. And bounce rate has been this iconic thing for a really long time. But really what it was looking at is the amount of people who looked at your site, didn't like it and left. But what is more important about something like engagement is that you are understanding who does engage with your content. So I think the big difference there is um, while it's great to minimize exits from your site, um, so making content that's sticky that way, the engagement rate is kind of a more appropriate way to look at it because then you can understand instead of like this site has a lot of people leaving, which ones people are engaging with more heartily. Um, it's kind of like a flipping the script a little bit. And, and that's really key for understanding which types of content that you've created are the best fit for the audience that you want to capture. Um, the other nice thing there is that then you're you can pull that through and understand does your engagement rate correlate with purchases or whatever, whatever other actions really key on your website. You could do the same thing in, in theory with, um, with something like bounce rate, you could categorize like pages that had a lower bounce rate and understand whether they, um, also were places where if someone touched that page, it, um, you know, improved traffic, but this is something that's, I think just a nice kind of like way to look at it differently. Mm -hmm. And, uh, can you tell about events? You know, I, I, I got a lot of questions about events, how to set up them, how to learn and understand data from events. So can you explain how it works and how it can be helpful uh, in our process? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think I mentioned a little bit that it's like more event-based tracking. So in universal analytics, we are focused also on sessions, which none of these things are necessarily going away. But what an event is, is anytime there's an action on the site that someone takes that you want to learn more about is really the yeah. super simplistic way to think about it. So um, even in universal analytics, this was the same. There's certain things that you want to capture, such as someone clicking on a sign-up button or watching a video. And, and all of those are, are events on a site um, and, and also broader into like when someone makes a purchase or adds to cart. And so that's how you can measure through time um, and, and through a session what's happening or through a, a specific user. So um, so that isn't necessarily like a new concept or anything. That is really how Universal worked as well. Um, but it wasn't the central focus of the tracking. 
Um, so that's, that's the way to think about it. So anytime you, there's something you want to know about that a customer would be doing on your site, that's an event. And with GA4, there's some nice things actually about how it's set up where you can a little more in an automatic way set up events. Um, so there's some ways where you can identify those sorts of triggers like a button click and set that up and designate it as an event that you want to follow uh, a little bit more easily in the interface um, versus universal. So that's like one of the, the big differences. Um, so there's like a few different things that you're looking at. Event-based tracking is really focused on, on the events above other pieces and how that makes a difference for SaaS websites, for example, or you know websites that are not just e-commerce is that your whole experience isn't necessarily about one end goal, like making a purchase. It's about having people, you know, that are logging into the SaaS product, interacting with it. Um, what, what things do they do and how does that lead to them engaging again in the future or not? Um, so that's something that's a, a, a bigger difference there. While things like purchases are actually events as well. Um, that's something that it's like a little, it's a little stronger when you're thinking about it all from that perspective of like what events are key for um, my users to take. Mm -hmm. And uh, I like one uh, tool, uh, Crazy Egg. Yeah, we have uh, similar tools uh, that have heat map. Uh, do we have anything like that on uh, GA4? I mean, like when you can learn uh, heat map and understand uh, where you can live uh, or your customers, lose your customers? Um, yes and no. Like, I think I, I would, mm -hmm. I don't know what they're going to come out with, right? Like, they might keep changing it, but. Um, they don't have as something as strong as a crazy egg or a mm -hmm. um, content square. Really, like that's something when we, when you start to get into um, really understanding your customers' data, I still am recommending considering having a secondary tool like Crazy Egg, because what the difference is really there is that um, you can see a lot more. They do user recordings, for example, with Crazy Egg, so you can segment and say, all right, well, someone left their cart. Why did they do that? What did they do before that? Was there something frustrating going on in the experience? And you can watch that experience, which isn't something that Google does. Google does have some tools like there is, um, there is like a, um, an add-on that you can do for Chrome where you can see like the overlay and see some of the like click rates and things like that on page, which is something that Crazy Egg M and some of these other tools do, but it's not necessarily as like visually friendly, I would say. Yeah. So you yeah. have to like, you can look at some of the same metrics, like, okay, where are people flowing to and from is something that you can see in Google analytics. So where do people go after they go from the homepage and, and where do they go in a shopping funnel? Um, but you're not going to see exactly like what they did on the page or like where their, their mouse was hovering and things like that, which is what tools like crazy egg are really useful for. And as an analyst, I love to have both because I will identify something like a drop off on a certain product page. And then I can go into a heat mapping tool and look at that a little more deeply and be like, okay, well, what is it about this page? If I couldn't identify something like a slow load time in Google analytics. Mm -hmm. And um, I know another tool, uh, Microsoft Clarity. And can you, <laughs> if we compare Crazy Egg and Microsoft, Microsoft Clarity, what do you think? Which tool is better? Uh, I, I'm actually not familiar with Microsoft Clarity, so I, sorry, I won't speak to that one. Mm -hmm. But you know, I can uh, I can talk to about a few other ones. I mentioned like there's okay. some called like 
um, mouse flow or content square and, and, and really like all of those tools, some of them will have some nuance of the features. Right. But like, um, it kind of depends on the size of your business for one, because things like mouse flow, crazy egg have some lower price points. Right. And there's some others that are much more enterprise and, and what you get with more enterprise is, um, more nuanced visualizations. Uh, so you get to, there's some things that are a little more advanced. You can do more advanced tracking. Like if you're running AB testing on your site, you can actually ex- uh, compare an A and a B version on your site. Not saying that, um, I mean, you know, I'm not familiar with all the entire requirements list of like what yeah. mouse flow has, but you know, that's some of the differences. And, you know, now um, there definitely are some other tools coming into the market that are trying to be a little more predictive I do believe that's somewhere that GA4 is also going to go. Um, but, you know, they, they, they have just kind of scratched the surface with it and, and hinted at some of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I just want to share a little bit about Microsoft sure. Clarity. It's free, 100% free. And uh, this tool has heat map as well. Uh, for me, it's hard to, uh, to compare to Crazy Egg, but it's free. You know, definitely you can try. Uh, and you, yeah, you can uh, add to Google Tech Manager. So, uh, and uh, learn from this tool, you know, to get a uh, heat map, recordings, uh, ma- many great insights. So probably it's better to start with Microsoft Clarity because it's free. And then uh, uh, to check out some other tools like Crazy Egg, I don't know. Yeah, name them. Uh, I want to ask you about struggles, you know, I always have struggles when I start something new. <laughs> For example, when I started PR campaigns, um, I failed. I, I wrote a bunch of press releases. Uh, I pitched them. Uh, I got nothing, you know, uh, but I acquired experience, you know, how to do it. And then we hired a team of uh, who can write great press releases. We hired people who can uh, pitch them. And we got mentions on CNN and many other great websites, Forbes, uh, because of having the process. Uh, but I usually start myself. Can you tell the struggles that companies, people still have by adapting to GA4 and your tips how to find another way? Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> after, you know, the, it's about three years now that we've been uh, attempting to get through <laughs> GA4 <laughs> migrations. Um, some companies have taken almost that whole time for the bigger ones. Uh, there's a few really key uh, barriers or, or things that come up. Um, the first one is almost no companies have what I was calling a data dictionary of their current implementation. So it means that for years, different marketers and analysts have come into that company. They've added new events. Um, the website has changed and events haven't been removed. So this huge barrier is that to move over, you need to know what you currently have. And almost no company knows what they currently have and what they currently use and need. Um, so that ends up being something that we or the company internally spends a lot of time on is going through and trying to figure out, do we need this event that's firing? Are we actually using this? Is this the right thing? And so that's a huge barrier that like has taken a lot more time than I, you know, I always expect it to, um, especially for any type of website that has some sort of complexity in how they've built it or um, also like complexity in the team as, as time has gone on. Um, I think that's one of the biggest barriers is, is figuring that out. Um, you know, another one is that even once you have that information and you're moving it over, there's, there's always some sort of 
issues that come up. Um, something won't fire properly in Google Analytics 4. Um, it wasn't implemented quite like it was intended. And so there's a lot of troubleshooting that um, I've also seen where um, you know, we try and move something over and something about the way the site works or something like that, you have to go back and figure out what's going on. And, and I think that leads to like kind of one of the third, third barriers I see is that both because um, it tracks slightly differently and there's certain metrics that are calculated differently. Um, and the fact that like, sometimes it doesn't go quite the way you planned when you're trying to copy over and dual dual tag, which we're kind of past now, but I can talk about it in a minute if you want. Um, there's going to be discrepancies in the data. So you're trying mm -hmm. to move over to GA4 and you're like, oh my God, my revenue is like 20% different in this platform versus this platform, which one's right. Um, and so you have to go through this process of like checking with your finance data again and saying, okay, well, we were 10% off in universal analytics and on, you know, Google, we're closer, great, or GA4 or you know, something like that. So um, there ends up being a lot of troubleshooting. It's not necessarily just like you push a button, move over the tags and everything is done. And then, and then comes figuring out the platform. So um, that's another part where uh, then, you know, there's marketers and other people who have been familiar with universal analytics and they're like, okay, great. You know, we got everything moved over and they open up GA4 and they're like, this looks nothing like what I'm familiar with. So I think there's a, there's a lot of learning learnings there. And, um, you know, the way that we've really gotten through the, the like not knowing what's in there is like, we have a built a process um, on how we get in and dig around and figure out what's firing um, and map that all out. And that was definitely like a learning curve of like figuring out how to do that in the most efficient way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, uh, I opened your LinkedIn profile because I like opening LinkedIn profiles. And what I see that uh, in the, your uh, background, Google Analytics, Adobe Analytics. Can you compare uh, both tools and tell what kind of advantages we have by using uh, both tools? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, they're, they're just two different options, right? Kind of like you could consider um, all the different CRMs that you could use. Um, one of the biggest difference between Adobe Analytics and Google Analytics is that Google has always had a free version and Adobe does not. So with Adobe Analytics, you're coming in at a price point of six figures per year to use the tool. Um, and so that's that's really like the biggest difference, right, is, is that you're starting off that way. Um, when you get to a certain level of traffic with Google Analytics, you're paying about the same amount. They're really not hugely different in the pricing once you're enterprise. Um, and, and one of the differences I, I think alluded a little bit to earlier is that Adobe has always been event-based in its tracking, and it always has had more of a free flow, build it yourself sort of analysis platform uh, versus having a lot of preset reports. So instead, if you wanted to have a certain report in a certain country and wanted to include certain information, you would drag and drop practically the metrics that you would want to build for and the tables and the visualizations. Um, so it's a little more, you know, similar to this Explore report that's coming out with GA4. Um, you know, there's, a, I think really the other difference is that it depends on the stack that you're working with. If you are really heavy into Google advertising and things like that, then you may want to stay on more of a Google stack, I would say. But then there's other people who have already bought into things like Adobe Target, 
um, and some of those other tools where they want to be more of an Adobe house. And really it's, it's kind of a strategic decision that, that is made by those bigger companies. And you could argue one way or the other. Personally, I do as an analyst like Adobe more, but the other barrier there is that like everyone knows Google and it's going to be a lot easier to find people who are familiar with it and can analyze in that platform and help implement new tracking. And Adobe, it's a little bit um, smaller of a, of a group that's familiar with it. So that's a, like kind of, I guess, a downside, I would say. Um, but then there's also some things where their features have been a little more refined and they have a lot more support for you and things like that. And since, you know, I know some of the people who listen to your podcast are more of like the smaller business size size too. There's some other players coming out like Piwik Pro, um, which is like a European brand, which are some other ones that are coming up free or have some sort of like base free implementation, especially since Google Analytics while GA4 is staying free-ish, there's some features that are definitely going away um, now that it's switching over to the new version. Mm -hmm. Valuable. Nice, nice. Awesome. Uh, I want to ask about my resource of data. I always use this resource uh, uh, when I uh, do mistakes. I always <laughs> learn from them, you know, <laughs> it's my resource <laughs> to learn from my mistakes, from failure. Uh, I, hate, I hate to do mistakes, but yeah, I keep doing them because uh, when you start something new, you, you need to do mistakes because we learn from generic strategies, best practices. Uh, and uh, I want to ask you about common mistakes that companies, people still do in GA form uh, from your experience uh, and what kind of mistakes we can avoid, I mean, like to learn before uh, doing something. Um, well, I, I feel like I'm, I'm beating a dead horse a little bit with this one, but I think the number one mistake is to not have migrated yet. <laughs> no. um, <laughs> I, if, if you haven't done that and you're staring down at this July 1st, like a few days or, you know, when this podcast comes out, it might've already happened, um, <laughs> uh, is to really focus some resources on, on that right away. You don't want to have to explain to someone higher up in the company why you didn't have data for a month, um, on your website because that migration didn't happen in time. Um, other common mistakes, I, you know, I, I think, a lot of my clients are still kind of getting their legs underneath them when it comes to even figuring it out. So I haven't seen people making like major mistakes that aren't ones that I see with all data. So maybe I'll speak to that a little bit, which is like, I think the other biggest mistake that people make is to not use the data enough. Um, a lot of times companies will only support themselves with data when it already supports where they wanted to go anyways, but that's not where data is valuable. Data is valuable when it actually is contrary to what you were planning on doing. If you were thinking about a certain blog strategy, but you look at your data and you say, oh, wow, actually this other topic or this other strategy fits us better. Um, what do we think about that? And how do we factor that into our decision-making? Not doing that is one of the biggest mistakes I see. Um, so if you're investing time and, and energy into moving over to this tool and you really, and you are, have invested money into having digital analytics, you should use them. I, I think, you know, I know that's like a really a simple one, but you know, that's one thing, um, you know, little mistakes is like, it's definitely a little bit more finicky since you're building the reports yourselves, like what metrics you can compare to each other. So sometimes you'll try and build a report and it doesn't work. So it's just being familiar with like what types of you know, things you can turn into a table, right? So like that 
it's like a little one. Um, but you know, so that's like from the really big to like, kind of like little things I see. Um, but really like just not using your data is the biggest mistake you could be making. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Data, you know, especially today when we have this huge competition at any field, you need to learn your customers and to get to use the right data. And once I watched interview uh, with Arnold Schwarzenegger and he explained about his success, he told that all success depends on creating uh, clear goals, the right vision, what uh, he wants to achieve in sport, in uh, movies, in politics, everywhere. So he created clear goals. Even others don't believe it's possible because in most cases, uh, his friends, family members can tell, no, 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 forget about that. You can't. It's impossible. Just imagine you need to compete with million people. But he achieved all the success because of having clear goals. And what I usually see marketers uh, use vanity metrics like volume, uh, traffic, I don't know, like uh, likes, comments. Uh, I mean, like these metrics don't help to sell. And uh, for example, if I decided to promote the keyword SEO, um, I need to compete with big companies like Moss, uh, uh, Neil Patel, Ahrefs, big, big companies. They have resources, they have uh, um, authority, trust, many things. But uh, Big companies usually ignore a, a lot of data because they can't take everything and far away from that. But anyway, uh, can you tell what metrics are important in GA4 and which metrics are less important? Because, uh, you know, I think we need to understand how it works. Uh, so these metrics will help during the way. And these metrics we can or ignore or uh, pay less attention to them. You've, you've uh, touched on one of my favorite topics. Um, wow. Yeah, so uh, I, I love to talk about this. This might be a slightly different approach than, you know, someone who's uh, who's just going to speak to GA and like the numbers that are in there. Um, yes, having this correct goal set and in business, we're calling those KPIs a lot of the times tied to those goals is crucial to interpreting whether you're successful or not and getting to a specific goal. Um, and, and I, you know, I, the, what I subscribe to is I can't take credit for this. This is Avinash Kaushik. I recommend following him on, um, LinkedIn as well. Um, and, and subscribing to his newsletter cause it's amazing, but is to create pairings of KPIs. And when you ask the question about like, well, what are the ones we should ignore and which ones should we focus on? It depends a little bit on your business goals and what you're focusing on as a business, because there might be a metric that's totally unimportant to one business that's going to be crucial to yours. Um, so digging into that a little bit further, um, starting to talk about actual GA4 metrics, if you're thinking about an e-commerce site, for example, what you're trying to achieve with that site is going to determine which metrics you pay attention to most. So if you're trying to really grow revenue and you're not so worried about profitability, then that's going to be different than a company who is really just doesn't necessarily want to put more money into advertising and really wants to just refine and tweak where they're at, um, are going to have different metrics that they focus on. Things like conversion rate are obviously one that everyone's going to focus on. But what I challenge people to think about is based on what of those maybe two businesses you are, what is the KPI that 
keeps conversion rate in check. Because if you are only optimizing for conversion rate, so you're just trying to make it higher and higher, you might actually do something like completely um, reduce your average order value. So you actually might end up getting less revenue because you're saying, okay, I only want to like get people who are like going to buy on a coupon or something like that. That's going to make my conversion rate go up, but it's not necessarily going to make my revenue go up or it's not necessarily going to make my average order value go up. So I think that that's like a really key part of it is making sure that you're looking at a value pairing. Really common one is like conversion rate and like maybe like monthly revenue goals or conversion rate and average order value because then you're saying, okay, well, yeah, I want my average order value to be high, but I also need my um, conversion rate to be high. Nice. Um, And then, you know, you, you talked a bit about vanity metrics. I would say a vanity metric is one where it's not necessarily tied to whatever effort that you were doing. GA4 has, you know, is kind of marketing and behavioral analytics. Um, so if you're only looking at, say, traffic coming from your specific advertising campaigns, so you're just looking at, wow, I brought in thousands of users from Facebook ads, um, and you're not actually looking at something like engagement, right? Yeah, um, you, your favorite um, as well to really compare whether that traffic is doing anything on the site then it becomes a vanity metric. But getting new users to the site and having them engage isn't necessarily a vanity metric when you're putting them together. Yeah, awesome. Valuable, valuable. Uh, I want to ask one question that was simple to ignore, hard today, impossible tomorrow about AI. You know, uh, Today, I think it's hard to ignore this tool. And um, I used AI before ChatGPT. Today, I use a lot more. And this tool, help a lot for example we got mentions on cnn by using ai uh, chat gpt to edit our content so i want to ask you uh, how people who use uh, who learn from data who use uh, different tools can use ai chat gpt or any other tools to increase results uh, yeah of their efforts Yeah, that's a great one. I've definitely been talking about it a lot too. Um, I I can sometimes sound a little bit as like a don't believe the hype kind of person, but it is a really useful tool. I would be lying if I said I don't use ChatGPT to support me. Um, And there's some really great ways to do that, that I think, you know, when when I think about the kind of boom of AI and what's possible, what it does for us in the data world is it takes away some of the tasks that we really don't need to spend time doing as a person. Um, So, you know, one of the areas that I'm most excited about, which I don't think very many other people are because it's not sexy, is data cleansing and how you can use AI to do that faster, better, smarter, um, way cheaper. Um, So in, you know, even in Google Analytics and things like that, now you could use a combination of something like ChatGPT and R, even if you're not necessarily someone who knows R as a programming language really well, to help you blend data together, um, to cleanse out records. Um, I, you know, I've I've talked with some other companies that um, do things like unify customer records in databases so that you don't have duplicates in there. That was something before that was like, really expensive to do and not necessarily like you get a lot out of it, but now you can do it really cheap and it gets something, you know, you get a positive return on investment for that. So that's like, you know, from my perspective as like a data scientist analyst, what I see is valuable, but I'm also seeing a lot of other options come out. Um, 
Google GA4 doesn't have it yet, but I know they will do it, which is um, they're going to have some sort of anomaly detection and insights that are generated by GA without your prompting. And that's something that um, Adobe Analytics has had for some time that's really valuable because like what that gives you is that even as someone who's maybe not like an analyst who can look at almost anything and make all the comparisons and figure out where there was a change in the data, it'll be there right for you. So you'll look at your traffic or something like that and it'll highlight an anomaly and you'll be able to click through and see what caused that and determine whether it's something that you need to be worried about or excited about or whether it's just kind of noise that isn't, you know, oh, some bot traffic hit my site. Um, so that's, you know, a huge, a huge deal. Um, and, you know, I've also seen some other things that tr are trying to kind of replace needing an analyst. I'd say that that's the area where it starts to be a little less useful. You still need someone with really strong business context to help interpret that information. But there's definitely some pieces that make it easier to get to insights faster. Um, I definitely, you know, I think that it's someone who is maybe a little less um, of an analyst, but really wanted to understand something. Uh, I've seen a few AI tools that are trying to try and integrate with Google Analytics, for example, and then you can ask more like business context questions and have it try and answer them. So, you know, the, it's just a, a huge possibility there. I know that there's some people who are saying there are scary applications of AI. All of these ones are fairly practical, right? Um, but yeah. it, it makes some things that have been super manual before a little more attainable for smaller businesses. Yeah, nice. Yeah, valuable. I never thought about that. So yeah, it's interesting to use data and ask uh, on ChatGPT, for example, how to implement your data according to your preferences. Yeah, I need to test it. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, 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 it's a great idea. Um, you know, it, yeah, you can do some of those pieces like that, you know, I, we're, we're exploring some other pieces too of like, yeah, how to, how to make that faster, you know, and, 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 you know, especially I've seen a lot of people applying it to statistical programming and things like that, where yeah. it can help you out. So I will try, I will try. Interesting. Let me know how it yeah. goes. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thank you for this idea. Uh, and I have final question. I want to ask you, take your crystal ball and tell about the future, forecast the future, because, you know, my crystal ball doesn't work. I tried when I bought crypto, you know, <laughs> I felt that crypto go up, but yeah, that went down. So, but anyway, I don't put all eggs in one basket. That's okay. I, I didn't lose a lot, but uh, I want to know about the future because we have AI today. Many other things are coming. You no, know, Apple is going to uh, launch this uh, headset, but I don't see a big difference, you know, because most people usually use smartphones, you know, to watch the screen is the same that you have like in your glasses. So can you tell what kind of future will be and how marketers can adapt today to this possible future? Well, like you said, I don't know if my, um, my crystal ball will work, but like, <laughs> and this is my, me, the pragmatic futurist here. Um, but I see in the next few years that, you know, obviously, like you said, AI has been around for a while. It's just now that people are talking about it and it's a little more accessible and they've been working on conversational AI where it's something that, you know, almost anyone can learn pretty quickly how to prompt it in a, in a successful way. What I see is a few things. I see a reckoning, another reckoning in data privacy. I, I think that we're not going to get to ride this boom without there being some regulations on how AI is used. Um, and that's going to be something that's going to be 
interesting to navigate. And especially, you know, I, 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 I keep close tabs on what's happening with, um, you know, rulings in Europe. Europe has been taking a very different stance than the United States has and other countries on things like this. So that's going to be, I, I think, something that's going to really occupy a lot of time in the nearish future. Um, I also see that AI is just going to become something that's a little more usable because if you think about things like, you know, your phone and Siri, it was something that was very rigid in what you could ask and how it would respond. I'm gonna, I, I see that it's going to become something that's a little more part of our day-to-day -day or a little bit more useful. Um, you know, it, something that beyond, it really more acts like something that you see in a movie. I, I, I see is like the way you can interact with Siri. Um, a little more of a personal assistant. And from the marketing side, you know, I think it's going to accelerate again. You know, it just seems like everything keeps accelerating. <laughs> These past few years, it just compounds and compounds. But um, for marketers, it's going to make it faster to create content that you need to create, um, faster to do parts of those manual work that you might not necessarily want to focus on. So you can really be focusing on the quality of your content more, the creativity of your content more, and worry less about some of these other pieces. Like, and this is something that has been around for some time, but in advertising and things like that, there's already been tools that have been making it easier. You know, might not necessarily label them as AI quite yet, um, but are using machine learning and things like that to make it easy to optimize. So I believe that marketing will become more on the creative side again, uh, and you will be you know, there will be still this arms race of like, everyone can use AI and everyone can optimize with it. So like, what is your edge and what is your story? And that's going to become more critical again. Yeah, yeah. You remind me of the story about creativity when uh, Lloyd Richards published a book 11 years ago and he spent 14 years to write a single book. Yeah, for me, it's hard to imagine how to spend 14 years <laughs> to write a single book, but he did it and uh, he used a lot of marketing and uh, sales channels, but uh, nothing could help to sell this book. Yeah, just random sales. Then his daughter posted content on TikTok from account with zero followers. This video became viral. Uh, plus 50 million people watch this video. And today this book is bestseller on Amazon. And on this video, you can't find the best nice-looking design. But it's creative. Creativity, you know, it's creative. Because a short video, less than a minute, uh, provokes curiosity. What kind of book is this? If offer spent 14 years to write this book. Yeah, so creativity, very important. And I use AI. Uh, because it can help me to edit my content. I'm a terrible writer, but I, I can do this job, you know, to edit uh, context without losing the meaning. So, yeah, if you are a terrible writer, you need to use it and pay more attention to creativity. Completely agree. Mary Beth, it's a big pleasure to get in my show again, to learn from you. You're so kind to, to share this value. You, you, yeah, you provide a few ideas. I'm going to implement them. Tell the best way how to keep learning from you, how to reach out to you, how to follow you. Yeah, thank you so much. It's always so so much fun to come on your podcast, and I love um, your intro as well. Uh, yeah, so reiterating what I said in the in the beginning, um, primarily, if you want to hear about my thought leadership content, LinkedIn is the best way to get me. Um, and so, just if you just type in Mary Beth Mushkovis, you'll find me. Um, I talk about a lot of these different topics, get into govern data governance, and and a lot of different interesting things. Um, and then our website is insightlimeanalytics.com. 
uh, feel free to check that out. And if you have any questions for me, you can also always email me. My email is marybeth at insightlineanalytics.com. I'm always happy to answer any questions. Yeah. Okay, guys, I'll submit uh, website, LinkedIn account in the description below. Listen to us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again for the time. Love it. You know, you Thank let you. me to an emergency room I need to, time <laughs> to consume all this information. Okay, guys, love you. See you. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.